So, with that note, if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Genesis chapter 1, or Genesis chapter 2, sorry, um, as we continue on in our sermon series looking at the gospel in Genesis. Uh, it's in page 1 of the Blue Bible in the chair in front of you, uh, but there's a few prefaces and other pages that are in front of that, uh, so please find that spot. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't have one at home, please take that one. We truly believe that that is the best gift that we could give you is the word of God. We want you to have it. We want you to read it. We want you to cherish it. We want you to just come to see who our Lord and Savior is that we've been singing about and lifting up our voices and our hands to. So please do that. So as we turn there to Genesis chapter 2, if you remember, and I think we all do, and sometimes we try to not remember, but COVID was not that long ago, um, where we were all shut down and locked down and whatnot. And for a guy like me, it's probably the worst case scenario. I couldn't do anything. You're stuck at home. I'm the guy who can't even watch a movie without getting up and just like wandering. And I think I, think I have some sort of like adult ADHD or something. I don't know. But for a guy like me, it wasn't a very good combo. I don't relax well. In fact, sitting around doing nothing makes me more anxious. It's, it's awful. Um, but it was an opportunity to rest, nonetheless, that God had placed upon us. Um, I used it to do more projects around the house. One of those projects was that we had a patio on the side of our house. So, you know, you dig down. You're supposed to dig down six inches, put crusher rock screenings, and then your tile. Okay. That's what I learned in landscaping, because everybody should do a landscaping job. And we did that. We dug down, we laid that patio. It was hard work, it was great work. And then you kind of think you're done, and then you kind of step back and you look at it and you go, I think we're done. And then you think, wait, no, but then we could do this. And then we could do that. How about we do this? And it just never seems to be finished when we start a project. Things are different with God. When God starts something, he finishes it. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Genesis chapter 2. We'll follow along just the first three verses there. The word of the Lord says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we come to worship. We come to make much of you today. Lord, this isn't a... In time to have our ears tickled or to be entertained, but for those of us who are listening to continue in our worship of you as we listen. For me, Lord, it is an opportunity for me to continue to worship you as I preach your word. And Lord, you know that I can't do this on my own, but I so desire, as we were just learning about with our kids, that you would be glorified. Lord, we want to make much of you. And I want to speak of you and praise you and praise your name. And Lord, there's no way I can do this on my own. So will you, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. And God, use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. So in verses 1, we see that the work is done. 
Thus, so, the writer says, with the pinnacle of creation created, everything is now finished. Humanity has been created, and the only one who we were, we were the only ones created in the image of God that Pastor Chris talked about last week. But as we see in Genesis 1, verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. And as we look at creation, this is an amazing thing that we need to think about as we fixate upon this. Because a quick little reminder with Genesis 2 is that this was written before the fall. Which means everything that we see here that is happening is not an outcome of the fall, but before the fall. So when God is calling us to do something or how he's structured to do things or whatever it may be, what we see here and the example that we see here is something that God exhibits for us, exemplifies for us before the fall. We were created to rest, as we will see. But as God looks at his creation, we've got to think about it through the perspective of how God sees it. How, and, 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 and then be snatched, sorry, snatched back into reality. Because as we look around in our world today, things aren't very good. I don't know about you, but when I look out in the world or read the newspaper, I don't see a very good creation. But when God at that moment stepped back, he saw that it was very good. When he finished it, it was that. It was finished. And what we will see in those very words, when God says it's all finished and he says that it is very good, it is very clear that God is not to be blamed for the mess that is happening in our world today. Because when he made it, it was very good. But in, at the same time, we also see that creation is still good. Yesterday, I had the opportunity of walking and spent the whole day outside, enjoying the weather, the sun, I think I got a little sunburn, which is like the redhead problem of the world. But I think of 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, which says, for everything created by God is good. But it was also finished, as we see. So God, with the end of those six days, everything has been finished. Everything that has been spoken into being is now been completed. It has come to an end. There is no longer a universe that is in the process of being created. Everything is now done. It has come to an end. And the heavens and the earth and everything that fills them are now done. And God steps back on this final day and he surveys his work and he declares it very good. And, he, and all the hosts are done. And, and in this language that we see here, it is this idea of like military men standing at attention, all in a straight line, all in order. I love it. Everything where it should be. Everything that was chaos has now been brought into order. It is exactly how God willed and desired it to be. This is the hosts that is organized and a, a disciplined body and every star and, and every blade of grass and every creature, every, yes, even creepy things are all in the right place, all in the right order. The work of building and filling the house 
has now been complete. And I don't know if there was a hustle and bustle going on, probably, but I think of the noise of construction. Just think about that. We've all seen construction. Maybe you've had the jackhammer outside of your house or whatever it may be, and then suddenly it all stops. Like standing out in the middle of a desert and all you hear is complete silence. Like a construction site that suddenly has the power tools turned off. And we ask a question. When we look at the Bible, we need to always ask this question. Is, is what are we learning about who God is as we look at this? So let me ask you this. What does it mean for you right here, right now, that we have a God who completes everything he finishes? He's not like me or you with a list of unfinished projects in your place. He has finished He has completed. There is nothing more to be done. All creation is now done. He doesn't step back and think, huh, I wonder what could be added to this. I know I was just supposed to replace the electrical outlet, but, you know, maybe there's something more. It was completely finished, and it was very good. From the beginning of time, we learn that we have a God who will finish exactly what he will finish. If if he had made a promise, he will fulfill it. And in Genesis 3, we will see even a promise made. And through the Old Testament, we will see promises and signs pointing to the one who will fulfill it. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, we will see Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, adding to himself humanity, being born of a virgin, Just as it was promised. Growing in the stature and wisdom of both God and man. And proclaiming the message of repentance and belief in him. Dying on the Roman cross for his people's sins. And on that cross he cries out, it is finished. When our Lord and Savior died on the cross with those final words and said it is finished. What do you think he meant by it? Is there any more work to be done for salvation? Did he mean that there was some sort of work that you had to do? Something extra? You got to hustle a little harder to win favor with God? No. It is finished. And just as God said at the very beginning of time, on the end of day six and then day seven, it is done, it is finished, so was Christ's work on the cross. So he accomplishes all of this for anyone who repents and believes and is saved. We have a God who finished what he starts. He doesn't leave one part of anything that he starts unfinished. And if he started a good work in you, he will finish it. Brothers and sisters, if you've repented and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God has began a good work in you. And if you're sitting here, there, right now, wondering if you'll ever get it right, in this life you probably won't, let's be honest. But there's a promise that one day you'll be with Christ, where everything will be finally finished. If you've, ever fin- if you've ever wondered if you've finally fully grasped the wonders of our God, if you've ever struggled with the sin that you just seem to 
I always struggle with. If you ever see yourself as God will see, has seen you, just as sure as God who finished creation, he will finish the good work in you. Our God is, as Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, the founder or perfecter. In the King James, it uses the word finisher. He is the one who makes possible the successful completion of our faith. He did all of what is needed for faith. It is why we can have the same confidence that the Apostle Paul has as he writes to the Philippians in Philippians 1 verse 6. And I am sure of this, he says. That's pretty confident. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Just as sure as God finished all of creation, he will finish what he has began in you. But because we know that God will preserve his people based on his own grace for his people, God's good work in us should also push us and motivate us to keep working out our salvation as we are constantly being sanctified, being made more like Christ. And what God began will be finished on that last day. It's on this day that he will return in glory to raise his people from the dead. And when we will give him praise and glory forever, he will finish what he started. So it's important when we look at the text and when we study the Bible to ask that question, what are we learning about who God is? And I see a thread through the Old Testament all the way to the New. God always finishes what he starts. Just imagine, like, you know, you forgot to put a nose on Adam or something. Right? Our God finishes what he starts. And from creation to our salvation, he will finish it. And as a painter or an artist or a construction worker or a craftsman steps back and sees the work of their hands, so does God. He has finished his work, and as sure as he finished the work of creation, so he finished the work of salvation for all of those who repent and believe. And more than that, he will finish the good work that he began, begun in you. As God, he shows us his very character in creation, but also sets us an example, as we see in these next few verses. Because in verses 2 to 3, we see an example of rest. As I was alluding to, when you've finished a project, what do you do? Generally, we kind of go and sit in the lazy boy, put our feet up and go, that was good. Or we might enjoy it. Like when I was building the patio, we enjoyed it. We sat on it and we enjoyed it. You rest from what you've been doing. And like when we completed that, we take time to enjoy it. We share it with others. And that's what we see God doing right here. Verse 2, and on the seventh day, God finished his work. In the Old Testament, there are two words for work. One word talks about unskilled labor, right? That, that's a word that you would use to describe me doing like tool and die work or carpentry or something. It, it might work. It won't look pretty, right? It looks unskilled, not very nice. But the second word there is talking about skilled labor, like a craftsman making a beautiful wood chest or a painter painting a beautiful picture 
or a skilled electrician making those wonderful straight lines that go right into the box and it looks beautiful and in order. Not like my box, which is like wires all over the, don't, it's okay. No one's dying. I didn't do it. Or like a tool and die worker with the precision to make tools. That's the word that's being used here. God is the skilled worker. He has finished his work doing what only he can do. And he steps back, he looks at his work, and he says, yeah, that's good. Very and even though there seems like there's a little bit of division happening here with these chapter breaks down, in the original text there actually isn't. The conclusion of day six is now happening right here on day seventh with God resting. And he rested on the seventh day. In the Old Testament, part of the law is something called the Sabbath. It's a day set apart for the people of God to stop working and gather together to worship. These passages aren't directly connected, but we see in Exodus 16 how uh, the writer of Exodus comes and he ties back the call to rest and Sabbath back to the created order of resting. So let me ask you this question, because I thought about this as a lot as a kid. Did God rest because he was tired? Right? Because I know when I rest, I'm resting because I'm tired. The answer is no, all right, before someone says something wrong. He didn't rest because he was tired like you and I from a hard day's work. He rested because his work was done. And But what we see is God setting an example for you and for me. We see how God has ruled and subdued creation and then calls humanity to do the same. We see how God fills the earth and tells humanity to do the same. And now we see God rests and tells us to do the same. God sets an example for humanity to imitate. There's an example of rest that the creator of the universe has made for his creation. One day that is separate from all the other days. But did God say he stopped all his work? No. What does the text say? It says that he stopped from the work that he was doing. It didn't mean that he just suddenly stopped being God. You know, there was that one day. Because we're, God's word's very clear. Even at this moment of time, he is upholding the universe. So if God stops upholding the universe, what happens? Everything reverts to the chaos that was before. From all of his work he had done, it says. God's work is in two categories. The first one is in creation where God finished his work on the sixth day. The second one is God's work of providence which is always ongoing. I like how the Westminster Catechism talks about it. It says, uphold and direct, dispose and govern all creatures according to the purpose of his will. Jesus says in John 5, verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, I am working. And that was a criticism from the Pharisees for doing some work on the Sabbath. Just because God stopped working on the seventh day from creation doesn't mean that he stopped doing what only God can do. And God didn't say he stopped all his work. He is saying that his work of completion is finally finished. Think about it this way. You know, we've been around long enough to see multiple elections. 
All the candidates go out there, they start campaigning, including the leaders of the political parties who hope to have their party win, and if their party wins, that means that they get to become prime minister. And once that election is won, the work of the campaign is now done. They move into 24 success drive, and, but they start to do all of the things that they said that they would do, or speaking to. It's in this same way that God entered into the rest over creation, not to relax, but to launch his plans for history. We don't have that providential will. As humans, we don't have providential will. So we rest in God's providential will when we take time to rest. We live in such a culture of rush. Like, even in this country, if you were to go west, like to Alberta, or east if to the Maritimes, it is a very different environment. Here in Ontario, for some reason, we're running around like a chicken with our head chopped off all the time. And I remember being in Jordan and a Muslim man looking at me and saying, you guys never know how to stop and rest. I was like, yeah, you're, you're right. We really don't. And I think much of our inability to rest is really rooted in denying that God is the one who's providential. Not us. He is the one who is working to make the sun rise and the sun set. Not me. He knows us so intimately that even the God who created the universe knows the number of hair that is on my head, or lack thereof. He upholds the universe. Which is why we can rest leaving him to continue to work when we aren't. The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan is a great book, and I read it a couple years ago. He talks about how Sabbath, a day of rest, actually starts on Friday nights. While we sleep, the command to rest starts. Like, that's an in-your-face, blatant message. I have to follow God's command to rest, not while I'm awake, but when I put my head down on the pillow. God is sovereignly and providentially working even while I'm sleeping, which means I can rest. I can relax. But this is ultimately is accomplished to the finished work of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 3 and 4, the writer uses the Israelites as an example of those who weren't resting in God's promise. The writer actually makes things really personal for you and for me right here in this chapter because he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. As we look at Genesis 2, we see how God is determined to finish what he started. Adam, as image bearer, rebelled against God by sinning. And because of that sin, humanity earned this amazing wrath of God. Not his rest. But God himself intervened. God's answer to Adam's sin was the promise of a Savior who would, re who would redeem sinners by dying in our place, so that anyone who repents and believes in Jesus Christ will find rest. 
Meaning, I don't have to work hard in order to win favor with God. He's accomplished it. The promise that still stands is the promise of salvation through God's providence, Jesus Christ. He alone can provide the eternal rest of salvation through his blood shed on the cross for the remission of sins. God's rest then is in the spiritual realm, a rest of salvation. It is through faith in Jesus Christ that one can enter into God's rest. Rest first starts with faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who accomplishes that rest for us. So to reject Jesus is to actually reject rest. And we see in verse 3, and God blessed that day. See, God blesses creatures to fill the earth. He also blesses humanity, being made in his image. But now he blesses a day. And it's amazing to me. Because here God is, before sin enters in the world, knows that we are people that need rest. Our need of rest is not a result of the fall. It was exasperated by the fall. This was before the fall. And God blesses it. He gives us a gift to rest. And I just love the character of our God. How gracious is he in that? And he makes it holy. Every other previous day is called beautiful or very beautiful or good or something like that. But this day is different. This day is holy. Nothing in creation that is connected with space is called holy. So what does it mean to be holy? God uses it to describe himself as his primary characteristic. God uses it to describe things. He even uses it to describe people. In 1 Peter 1, we are called to be holy as God is holy, quoting Leviticus so what does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart. So here God is saying, there's one day a week that has been set apart for something different. It's been set apart for himself, to bring glory to himself. There's a separation between this day and every other day. There are work days and there are rest days, which is important for us humans. So here's the question. Do we uh, have to observe this even now? And I would say yes and no. No, because we are no longer under this law, the Sabbath, because Christ fulfills it. We just read this in Hebrews 4. But also yes, because God gave us this example of rest before sin. By observing this day as holy, we are imitating our creator's example. He created us. The same God who created the universe knows us intimately enough to say, Nate, you need a day of rest. And if God rested on the seventh day, don't come to me and tell me you don't need it. Because that, that would make you, that would be called idolatry, pride. Uh, I could go through the list. Ultimately, you're not God. He knows you. He created you to have this day. And as I was saying, our North American culture is truly twisted sometimes. And someone's going to say, yeah, you know, look at all this marriage problems and all this other sin stuff. But this verse hits hard for people like you and me. 
Because we think of works as activities that accomplish the most things. We think that the, the, the way that we can uh, get more is by working harder, but that's not the way that God thinks. He says he sees his rest as profitable. That's what it means to be blessed. More so than all the other six days. He doesn't bless any of the other days except for this day. Adam Wilkins in his book, The Message of Creation, said it this way. In the natural world, fruitfulness is associated with rest. If you're a farmer, you know this. A field cannot be farmed constantly, but needs a period of lying fallow to ensure continuing fruitfulness. Written into God's creation is the necessity for rest. Entering into God's rest is the key to a fruitful and blessed life. And when we rest, we are showing that we trust and we honor God. Because he's the one that makes the sun rise and the sun set. It's saying, I know, God, you can do more with my six days than I could even do with all seven. So I will and should rest in you. This is also our worship. It's an act of worship to rest in God, who is sovereign and providential. But what does it mean to enter into God's rest? As we are saying first, rest starts with faith in Jesus Christ, who accomplished our rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Second thing is the idea of resting is to do something different from all the other days. If you go into work all seven days, it means that you're not faithful to the rest. And I speak to myself on this one, okay? Because I would say Monday is my day of rest. That means I should not be checking my emails if I want to be faithful to what God has called me to do and to be. Being scolded right now with people's eyes. Do something different. If chopping wood is something that's relaxing to you, chop to your heart's content. And you snicker, but I did this over the summer, and surprisingly, it is very relaxing. I don't know, like, you have that axe, and you're just like, all of your aggression is going out on that thing. <laughs> if you find rest in reading, do that. But keep things in tension. Popular Science had an article called, For Adults, Habitual Binge-Watching Correlates with Instances of Depression, Disturbed Sleep, and Even Addiction. That was the title. Relaxation is not about sitting on your couch and watching five hours of TV. Okay? Our non-saved world says that it doesn't work. And God would say the same. We're called to rest in him. I'm not saying don't watch TV, okay? Please, someone not quote me on this one. When we take time to rest, it's like saying, I know, God, you can do more in those six days than I can do in seven. This is my act 
of worship. So what do we do when we worship, when we, when we rest and we worship in our resting? Well, the first one is this. It means we gather with God's people. That's why we gather together. I was talking with a brother of mine and how much of a means of grace it is for my soul to hear God's people sing. I closed my eyes even as we were singing. I think it was, blessed be your name. I was like, man, you guys are loud. I was like, praise God. Sing louder. Let us fill up our hearts and our souls. Blessed be the name of the Lord in the dark times and the good times. And I know some of you are singing those songs with tears in your eyes. But we gather together. We were created to worship together. When we gather together, it also is testifying of our final rest. Think about this. Our gathering together is just a snapshot snap of what is to come. When we are in heaven, well, not in heaven, it's actually new heavens and new earth, but anyways, and all tribes of every nation, all tongues are gathering together to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Over and over again for all eternity. And we're like, that's going to get boring. I don't think so. Like, how else do you describe God for all of eternity? And holy, holy, holy. So if this is a boring time for you, you might want to think some things over. But we get to testify of that final rest we have. When we rest, it shows how we find our refreshment and enjoyment in God. Take time to stop the things that we do throughout the week and like studying or construction or meetings and, and rest, be refreshed. Set this day apart to enjoy God and bring him glory and to be with his people. Bring people and watch football. Man. Many people. Here's a commentary that said this. Many people will answer that it is not possible to set aside their work. Students will insist that they simply have to study on Sunday to keep up. I remember my parents hammered me on this one, and I'm very thankful for this. Because my parents were insistent on it. Do your work on Saturday. Sunday is nap time. Businessmen will argue that they have to work every day in order to meet their quota. With this attitude, however, Christians effectively deny the very attribute of God most celebrated by the Sabbath, his sovereignty. If we did not have a sovereign and gracious God, it would probably be true that we must work all the time without ceasing, like Israel in the mud pits of Egypt. But we have a gracious and sovereign God who sets an example for us of what it means to rest. You know, Caleb and I were out with some friends yesterday hunting uh, with some men, and we were talking about some projects in our houses, and it turned into big jokes because one guy said, uh, I'm thinking of doing some work in my shop and spray foaming the shop. And we all looked at him and said, that's a bad idea. Don't start it. 
Because it's never just spray foaming this, the walls. It's like, oh, let's do some electrical work. Oh, that could be a new window. Oh, how about concrete? Oh, you know, and it just keeps going. It's like my patio, never ending. We stepped back and loved, and we looked at it and we thought it looked great, but it's never really truly finished. Even to this day, I still look at it and go, hmm. But that's not the case with God. After he created, he rested because it was finished. And he steps back like a fine craftsman to admire his work, and he calls it very good. And then he rests, and he gives us an example for us to follow. So what, you may ask yourself? The God who finishes all he begins calls you to rest. At the very beginning, we saw that God created the heavens and the earth. He began history with those words, let there be. And as creator of everything, these final words of creation narrates that our God is a God who finishes what he starts. And what, what that means for us today is that the promises that we read about throughout the Bible are going to come true. If God finished creation, he will finish the good work that he began in you. Praise God, because I'm a mess sometimes. And you are too. If God finished what he started, he's going to come back like he promised. Because he leaves nothing unfinished. He sets an example for us in resting. And the time to enter into his rest is now. Because if he finishes what he starts, that means he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. The question is this, what are you resting in today? Who are you resting in today? Because Jesus is Lord and he will return to finish our salvation when those who have faith in him will enter into eternity of God's holy and blessed rest. Take time also to smell the roses. Go for a hike, a walk, chop some wood, go to the park with your kids, go hunting, read a book. Whatever you need to do to unwind, do that and bring glory to God in that process, knowing that you can step aside from the hard six days of work, knowing that God is still sovereign in the seventh. Do something different. Do you desire rest? Then come to Jesus. As we look at this passage, we see how God is determined to finish what he started. Adam screwed up royally. There's no way around it. He was the image bearer who rebelled against God by sinning. And because of that sin, all of humanity is deserving of his wrath. But God intervenes and he sends his son, Jesus Christ, who redeems the sinner for all of those who repent and believe. All of those who believe in him will find rest. Because I love Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We just sung a song today called Jesus Strong and Kind. Do you believe that? Did you sing those words and kind of let it go? Jesus is strong and kind. And he calls all those who are weary and tired to come to him. Jesus, the God who finishes all he begins calls you 
into his rest. Let us continue to worship our awesome God together. Lord, we thank you for the example that you give us of what it means to rest in you. Forgive us of those times that we think that we need to work hard and completely neglect the way that you created us to be. In the meanwhile, taking glory from you. Lord, I pray that we would see your example and that we would take time to rest, knowing that you're a God who is sovereign and in control. And, that may, and may that come through in our witness as we go out. May, may our lives be so different than the people around us that people will start asking questions about why in the world are you like this? And may you give us boldness to declare the good news of Jesus Christ and how others can find rest in you. Amen.